thank you that we get to be here together today. Lord, I really feel like counting my blessings. I think about people in Melbourne and who are still in lockdown in, in various forms and, and others in the persecuted church around the world that cannot meet like this. And I just find it such a privilege to be here, Lord, with your people, openly being able to share your truth, share your word, worship you. Lord, we're so blessed. And I pray, Lord, today that you would fill me up with your Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me, and that every person in this place, every person listening online, Lord, would receive from your Holy Spirit what you want them to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. All right. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about overcoming adversity. I know that all of us in this room have had adversity of some kind. Um, and for myself and the, the staff of the school where I work, it's been a really rough week. Um, we've had some stuff happen there and um, it's been tough. It's been hard. And, and I, uh, I love that God doesn't leave us without somewhere to go when we're going through hard times. He doesn't uh, just say, well, you figure it out. <laughs> he has something amazing for us. And so we're going to delve right in today. We want to look at John chapter 16, verse 33. Where did PJ disappear to? He'll be back. He's got my clicker. <laughs> That's all good. I'll tell you when I want the, the next one, James. Okay. So, John chapter 16 and verse 33. Tell me when you've got it, if you want to look for it in your Bibles. Got it? Got it? All right. These things I have spoken to you. These are the words of Jesus. So, he's saying this to his disciples. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So this is the last sentence in the final teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples just before he was arrested and faced the cross. So we often talk about the Last Supper where he broke bread with his disciples. They had the Passover meal. Then he goes on and he does this teaching. Thank you very much. Um, and it's, it's quite lengthy, this teaching. <coughs> Pardon me. <clears throat> this teaching goes from John chapter 13 all the way to John chapter 16. And so it was quite a long teaching session he had with his disciples. Then he ends up in the Garden of Gethsemane and then he ends up facing the cross. So this is like crucial. This is what he decided to tell his disciples right before the most momentous moment of his life. Pause. <laughs> Thanks. Right. Now, four things from this verse. Okay. The first one. In me, Jesus, you may have peace, he said. Second one. In the world, you will have tribulation. Third, be of good cheer. And fourth, I, Jesus, have overcome the world. So let's break down this first one, peace in Christ. Okay, so from 
chapter 13 of John to chapter 16 of John, this is some of the things that Jesus had been telling them. Remember, he's about to face the cross. Now, I can't even imagine knowing that I'm about to have a brutal death, how I would mentally prepare for that. I, I have no idea. But I certainly wouldn't be imparting to all the people around me. I would be so stressed. I'd probably be vomiting just the worry and the... the I mean, Jesus knew everything he was about to go through. And yet, this is what he's saying to his disciples. John 14, chapter 1. He says to them, let not your heart be troubled. There's this new thing that young people do, mind blown. (laughs) Right? You're about to face the cross, Jesus. And he's saying, hey, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus is asking them, believe in me. Just believe in me. Don't let your heart be troubled. He then says it again. Peace, in verse 27 of chapter 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Jesus wasn't snappy. He wasn't anxious. He wasn't worried. He's about to face the cross. And here he's saying to his disciples, I'm leaving my peace with you. Wow, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You, you'd think it would, should be the other way around. Shouldn't someone be saying this to Jesus? Hey, don't be afraid. God's got this. I don't know how, but you're going to be all right. I mean, you're not really going to be all right, but maybe you'll be all right. I don't know. How do you comfort Jesus? He doesn't need comfort. He's giving comfort. This astounds me. Now, how about what does peace mean? Now, I typed into Google Images, peace, because I wanted to find some things to put up here. And it had all these images of that ridiculous, broken, upside-down cross that the world tries to say is a symbol of peace. And, um, And I was so annoyed. I'm like, you've got no idea. They think peace means just equality for everybody or something like that. Really? No, that's not what it means. Let's look at the original Greek. Irene is a state of rest, quietness and calmness, an absence of strife and tranquility. It generally denotes a perfect well-being. This is what Jesus promised his disciples he was going to give to them and leave with them as a gift. A state of rest, quietness, calmness, an absence of strife. Wow, tranquility and perfect well-being. This is what Jesus said he would leave with them. Remember this verse, in me you may have peace. You can be completely calm in the middle of the worst storm of your life. You can be in a state of tranquility. You can be quiet in a state of rest. Even when everything around you seems like it's falling apart. 
How is this possible? It's only possible through Jesus. In me, he keeps saying, believe in me. It's my gift to you. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus for a peace that is absolutely astounding. The second thing I want to point out is that Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. So again, from chapter 13 to 16, this is some of the comments Jesus is making to his disciples in his earlier teaching. John 15, 18 to 21. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master? If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. All right. This is some of the things that Jesus is talking to them about. I'm so glad he started off with the peace part first. Hey, I'm giving you a gift of peace. Now you're going to have some tribulation. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. They're going to persecute you. They're going to hate you. Why? Because we walk in his name. Now, I thought this was interesting when it says, um, all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. How many people wear the banner of Christian and they have the name of Jesus somewhere in their life when it suits? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. But what if someone's going to hate you and persecute you? Are you still going to proudly wave the banner? Yeah, I'm a Christian. <laughs> See, true Christians will experience persecution because darkness hates light. If you're a mixture, there's, there's no threat, is there? But when you're light in darkness, you make people uncomfortable and they don't like it. John 16, 1 to 3 says this, These things I have spoken to you, again, Jesus is speaking, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. This is serious. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. Do you know up to this point in time, more believers have been killed from people claiming to be acting in the name of God than any other way? That's, that's scary, isn't it? And Jesus is warning us this is going to happen again. The more the lines become clear between darkness and light, the more the darkness is going to hate the light. And people want to get rid of you, squash you, quieten you, silence you. And they're going to say, oh, I'm doing this in the name of God. They were those horrible, you know, intolerant people. We're walking in the love of God. We get rid of them. Wow. 
Okay, I want to bring out two words here where Jesus talks about tribulation. Let's go back again to the original Greek. It's philipsis. Don't you like that? Philipsis. <laughs> I don't really like it because I don't like the meaning. Listen to the meaning. Pressure. Who loves pressure? What's wrong with you all? <laughs> I didn't get one hand. Oh, man, I don't like pressure. They tell me, though, for a seed to sprout, it requires the pressure of the soil upon it. Opposition. Who enjoys opposition? I really dislike it. Stress. I, I don't think this was supposed to, I don't think this is what's supposed to be in the Bible. I mean, we don't come to church to hear about pressure and opposition and stress, do we? <laughs> but how many have ever been through pressure and opposition and stress? Yeah. Now I'm getting more hands. It doesn't stop there. It also means anguish, tribulation, adversity, affliction. It means crushing, squashing, squeezing, and distress. I thought it was bad at the start, but it just got worse. <laughs> crushing, squashing, squeezing. Aren't you glad you came today? The word is used of crushing grapes or olives in a press. That is what tribulation means. Jesus said, in the world, you're going to have some pressure. You're going to have some opposition. You're going to have anguish. You're going to have adversity. You're going to have affliction. You're going to be crushed and squashed and squeezed and in distress. Look at this. In, in chapter 16, verse 1, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. Has anyone ever met somebody who's no longer following God because something bad happened in their life and they thought, if that's what God's like, I'm not interested? This is exactly why Jesus is telling his disciples this. I need to tell you something so that when it happens, you're not left confused going, God, where are you? This doesn't fit my little box of what I thought you looked like. Uh, I don't understand this. Uh, I'm walking away. I'm saying this so that you should not be made to stumble. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> I can't hide with this mic. <laughs> mm. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> All right. That word stumble in the original Greek. I'm trying to remember how to pronounce it. Scandalizo, that'll do. <laughs> Originally, to put a snare or a stumbling block in the way, the noun to which it is related referred to the bait stick of a trap. Isn't that interesting? What is one of the number one things Satan wants to do to take you away from God? A bait stick. I'm going to lay a trap. What is the trap going to look like? Tribulation. But Jesus, can't you fix everything? Did you notice that Jesus never stopped the people who opposed him? 
He could have. People came against him. He could have just went, moved a little finger, went, fry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sorry, I thought you were a fly. I mean, what's that charred mess on the floor? You know, he could have. He could have taken care of all opposition. It wouldn't have been a problem. It would have been like, angels, take these two away. They're bothering me today. He didn't. Why not? Why do you think Jesus is saying, you're going to have tribulation? Why would he not allow us to escape all that? You're going to go through these pressure points, opposition, stress. Why? It doesn't sound like what a loving God would do. How many of you have had plants that have really enjoyed the rain? Have you had plants that are now growing in every direction and need to be tamed? Mm, Same. Just when I thought I had it under control, the rain comes. Now I've got to trim. Why? Why don't we just leave everything grow the way it wants to grow? Why do we trim trim the grapevines at the front of the church here all the time? Why not just let them go? Well, we could. Will we get much fruit? No. You see, in this passage, Jesus also talks about being the true vine. And the Father is the vine dresser. And the pruning needs to take place. The greater the prune, the greater the fruit. It's the squashing and the squeezing and the distress that actually gets the dross out of our life. You know, you don't actually know what's in there till you are under pressure. I remember my, one of my first jobs was at Donut King. I've been in a Christian family all my life. And, uh, I, you know, I never, never grew up around any kind of swearing or anything. So I'm in, in Donut King and I'm making coffees on the coffee machine and I burn myself. And do you know what I say really loud? Oh, hallelujah. Everybody looked at me and I'm like, what? I burnt my finger. Okay, because that's not what they're used to, right? But that's all that was in me because I hadn't had anything else put in me. So that's what came out when you're under pressure. I remember the, the closest... I'm so sorry, Dad, but he's not here to defend himself. But the closest my father ever came to swearing was to call something a mongrel. And it was usually when he banged his head. You know, he'd open up the boot of the car and then that pointy bit down and he'd be getting something out and up he'd come and he had a bald spot right there and he'd say, Oh, you mongrel thing! And we'd go, Oh, what, Dad? It's really quite funny. I don't think I've ever uh, called anything that. Um, but, you know, there's always a first, so <laughs> I probably haven't banged my head hard enough. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What comes out under pressure? There's a whole lot of stuff that we actually don't want to lug around with us. And until we're put under pressure, it's not going to come out. It's just going to sit there. But get under pressure, and it's going to come out. And we want it out. Just like a a sore or whatever that's festering, you don't want to leave it fester. You want to get that gunk out, right? So it can heal 
and you can keep going forward. All right. Jesus told us these things would happen so that when that enemy's trying to lay a snare or a stumbling block to take you away from God, you will be wise to it. Now, this is a very real stumbling block because sometimes we just cannot understand. But why, God? Why? That was how I was when Dad died. I really couldn't understand. And I, I actually said to my sister, I don't think I can serve a God like this. I was at that point, I was ready to walk away from everything I'd ever known. Thank God he's faithful. Ah, I can imagine him that day going, all right, let's just carry her for a while. <laughs> She's not walking too good. But man, it was close. It was so close. And I had to come to that point of looking again at the cross because that reminded me, God loves me and he is good. If he's willing to give his only son, then he is good. I may not understand what I'm going through, but at the end of the day, he wouldn't send his son to die for me unless he was good. This is a very real stumbling block. We need to be aware of it. Okay, third point in this is be of good cheer. Now, why would you stick that after all this tribulation stuff? Wouldn't you put that after, here's my peace, be of good cheer. That's the right flow, isn't it? Here's my peace, you're going to have trouble, now be glad. Jesus, you're really weird. Be of good cheer, what? When we're going through stress or anguish or affliction, when we're feeling squashed or crushed or in distress, are you sure? Here's some of the things Jesus told them earlier in John 15, 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Again, remembering the context, Jesus is saying this right before the cross. Can you really have joy in what you're facing, Jesus? Can you really feel full of joy knowing you're about to go through the hardest moments of your life? John 16, 22, therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. He'd also told them in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here it is again, straight after talking about persecution, he's like, be exceedingly glad. You know, they have ads on TV for like, I don't know what it is, some kind of instant scratch it thing, you know, and then they, they win and they're like, ah, oh, crazy. I always think of that when I see exceedingly glad, someone just, you know, about to burst. This is the state that God says we should get to when we experience persecution. Everything in the kingdom of God is opposite, isn't it? This is very opposite. 
All right, but why? Why can we be of good cheer? Because the scripture tells us that joy, the joy of the Lord, is our strength. And what do you need in persecution? You need strength. You need to be strong. You think of all those people who've laid down their life for Jesus. They had to have a strength that was beyond themselves, didn't they? What what a conflict that must create in our enemy, though. Throw everything bad at you and you're more happy? I just tried to ruin your day and you're dancing? It didn't work. No, it's not going to work because we've been given a joy that remains. Not based on circumstances, our joy is based on Jesus and he never changes. So our joy can be full, absolutely full. Paul writes so many of his letters from prison and he's so happy. It doesn't make any sense. But God, Jesus said, my joy will remain in you that your joy may be full. So be of good cheer. And then he tells us why. I have overcome the world. John 16, 33, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 1 John 4, 4. You are of, are of God, little children. I forgot all about this, sorry. You like my be of good cheer? <laughs> I loved it. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Okay. You are of God, I'm reading in 1 John 4, 4, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Wow. Love it. Also, 1 John 5, 4 to 5, for whoever is born of God, sorry, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, I'm going to tell you something interesting. I just felt like I needed to count some things because as I went and kept reading through from chapter 13 of John all the way to chapter 16, I kept noticing that Jesus was repeating some things. Like, oh, he said that earlier. Oh, I remember reading that earlier too. Actually, that sounds similar to what he said before. I'm just going to count how many times he says some of this stuff. Jesus mentioned being in him or believing in him 10 times in this teaching right before he faced the cross. 10 times believing in him and being in him. So it's obviously important that we remain in him, abiding in him. So important. Now, the Apostle Paul had an understanding of this. In Galatians 2.20, he says this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, 
but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Paul connects living by faith, by faith of the Son of God, with the love of Jesus. How do we have great faith? You need to know that you're greatly loved. There's a direct link, and we're going to unpack this a bit more. Jesus also mentioned in his teaching to his disciples, found in uh, John chapter 13 to 16, being loved by himself and the Father ten times. You know, for a short space of time, that's a lot of times to repeat something, isn't it? To say it ten times, I think he's trying to get a message to us. Um, Being loved by himself and the Father and therefore loving one another. This he talked about ten times. Believing in Jesus, abiding in Jesus has something to do with knowing how much you are loved by Jesus. I want to show you this connection again in um, uh, Ephesians here. Chapter 3, verse 17 to 19. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Rooted and grounded in love. Now this rooted, we were talking about before, how a seed grows. That pressure. Rooted, grounded in love. That is super important. If we are going to successfully get through the tribulations that we will face, we have to be rooted and grounded in God's love. There is no other way. When we really know that love, it's a knowing in here. It passes up here. Because our head always wants all the facts, all the why, the how, the when, the what, the where. Your head wants to process everything and doesn't always get all the answers. But if you bypass this and you know the love of Christ with this in your heart, you will be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, how much time have I got? Right, not looking at the clock. Okay, so Paul's amazing perspective, which led to a victorious, overcoming life. We're going to have a look at some of what Paul said here. So Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul went through a lot And he he said that doesn't even get, it's not even worthy of a mention comparison to what I have in Christ. What I have is so much more than anything that could be thrown at me. Romans 8, 28. Now we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And then Romans 8, 31 to 39. Oh, I love this. Are you ready to get a bit fired up? Okay. Well, I am anyway. Here we go. What then shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
That's a really good question. Because I believe that God gets the final say. Uh, He is the judge of all the earth. So if he is for us, then it doesn't really matter who's against us. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Well, it is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen and is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Okay, I want to to read this a little bit. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Now, how many of those things were people? None, right? It says, who? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Is tribulation a who? It's a what, right? Uh, Is distress a who? Persecution? Famine? Hang on a minute. Who shall separate us? That's telling me all these things that we think are just happening in the natural are not just natural. Who is behind what's going on in your world? Isn't this interesting? That tribulation, that distress you're going through, who is behind it? The who is actually our enemy, Satan, who wants to separate us from the love of Christ. But... He's saying, but who? Is tribulation going to win? Not on my watch. Is distress? How about persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. See the emphasis. We're more than conquerors. How? Through him who loved us. He loves us. Now, I love this. Paul's getting ready to preach. I'm going to try and and do it justice. And and when I get to heaven, I'll say, hey, Paul, I had a go at it. How did I go? (laughs) Here's what he says. For I am persuaded... I am absolutely 100% convinced, I am persuaded that neither death nor life. That's really interesting, right? The death of my father wasn't able to separate me from the love of Christ. It had a good go at it. But you know what? It couldn't come between me and my Jesus. But why is he saying life? I'm persuaded that neither death nor life. Some people feel that life is not worth living anymore. And they want to end their life. 
But he's saying, don't even let your life come between the love Jesus has for you. Nor angels, no matter how powerful and big they might seem, nor principalities and powers in the heavenly realms, nor things present that I'm facing today, nor anything that's coming in my tomorrow, things to come. He says, not height. That's a revelation right there. How many of us experience the love of God when we're up in the highs? Or are we distracted from his love? Nor depth. No matter how deep your despair, no matter how deep a hole you feel you're in, there isn't any place where you can be separated. Nor any created thing, just in case you hadn't covered it. That's like saying infinity. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing is able to separate us from the love of God. Romans 12, 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Allow that joy to fill you to such a point that you become a spiritual weapon, like a warhead. Allow the love of God to be so great in your heart that it doesn't matter what's coming at you. You look that enemy in the face and you go, I know he loves me. I know he loves me because he sent his only begotten son for me. You see, knowing his love is our victory. No matter what we're going through, his peace, his joy, and his love makes us more than conquerors, more than overcomers. It makes us strong in the heat of the battle. And at the end of the day, we are the ones left standing. Isn't that awesome? I hope you've received something from that this morning. If you'd like to stand to your feet with me, we're just going to close with a word of prayer. And I always like to have an opportunity uh, give an opportunity for people to receive Jesus. But, but first, I just want to pray with you. I don't know what you've been facing this week. I don't know what's been going on in your family or in your world. I don't know all the, the things surrounding your life. But I do know that I can say with the same assurance as the Apostle Paul, I am persuaded. Absolutely nothing that you're going through is able to separate you from the massively amazing love of God. And it's that love that will not just bring you through, it will cause you to soar. It will cause you to overcome. He loves you. I want to pray for you today. Why don't we just close our eyes? If you would like to, me to especially include you in this prayer, I'm just going to pray for those who've been going through a time of crushing or distress or stress. I want to pray for you today. So just feel free to raise your hand. Hey, need to count me in. I would like to be prayed for. Bless you, Lord. Thank you. Father, you see your people here. You see the people looking online, Lord. Those who are maybe at home and are raising their hands saying, yeah, count me in. I need prayer. Father, I thank you that you took it upon yourself right before you faced the cross to tell us how to face opposition, how to face persecution and tribulation and distress. Lord, you took it upon yourself to tell us that we can have a perfect peace, that we can have a joy that's not ending, unending, Lord, and that we can be secure in a love so amazing. We will spend the rest of our lifetimes trying to fathom its depths. 
Lord, I pray for everybody under the sound of my voice, Lord, that you would strengthen them, that you would encourage them, that you would unveil their eyes to how much you love them, God. Lord, that they would walk out of here with a spring in their step and a joy in their soul because the God of heaven and earth loves them. Lord, let it be personal. Let it be real. Let it be so convicting to us. We are loved by our heavenly Father who spared not his only son for us. Lord, I thank you for victory for your people, that they are overcomers. They are more than conquerors, Lord, because of you who loves us. In Jesus' name. While your heads are bowed and eyes are closed in this place and those watching online, I want to give an opportunity. If you don't know Jesus Christ, he is the only name by which people can be saved. Do you know he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you don't acknowledge Jesus, you can never get to the Father in heaven. And so today, I want to give you an opportunity to just go through the ABCs of salvation. A is admit. Admit you're a sinner and that you need a savior. B is believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And C is commit. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. He is the only way. If you want to be included in this prayer, you can pray after me. I'm just going to say a simple prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sin, to take my place. Wash me clean today. I believe in Jesus, that he is the Son of God, that he is the only way to the Father. And that he can wash me clean. I choose to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, why don't we give God a hand? Because you know, there's celebration in heaven when one person gets saved. Amen. Amen.